Let's pray. Father God, we, we praise you that it is not about our perfection, but yours. Your perfection taken all the way to the cross in our place. We praise you, Lord, that it is your resurrection, and it is that in which we hope. We praise you, Father, for your word given to us, and we pray, Lord, that we take your word to heart, and it continues every day of our Christian walk to mold us and shape us to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Who is Jesus? Amen. Today we want to take a look at who Jesus is. Uh, not just theoretically and, and, or, or philosophically, not just head knowledge. Not, not just what we think about him. But practically, because all of this, all this great head knowledge that we stuff into our minds is worthless to me if I never apply it. Scripture says that even demons believe, but, but for them the rubber never met the road. They have this head knowledge. But it was never applied. How does the reality of Jesus Christ affect my life on a daily basis? Does he affect my life? In all I do at home, at work, at church, at school? Or is my life still mine, all mine, in the way that I actually live it? As we will see in our passage this morning, a good litmus test for this is how do I react when God brings change into my life, when he allows things to happen that bring change? Do, do I see Jesus in a pragmatic way as my king or as my employer or perhaps just a friend, maybe my life insurance salesman? Does he follow me, or do I follow him? Is he my Lord, or is he more like a pet? Feed him a little bit, and he follows me around. In what way has my approach to life, what I say, what I do, where I go, everything, how has it changed since I received Jesus Christ as my Lord? and my Savior? Am I willing to give him both my everything and my nothing? My everything and my nothing. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 3. Starting at verse 22. John chapter 3, starting at verse 22. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. I love hearing the flipping of those pages. That's great. John 3.22 says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salem, 
because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put into prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from heaven is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Reading of God's Word. Go ahead and be seated. Who is Jesus? That's the question of the morning, right? Let's start with John the Apostle's thoughts as he begins at verse 31. He says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. John tells us that Jesus is above all. And then he says Jesus is Above all, just in, he, he repeats himself, just in case we missed it the first time, Jesus is above all. John wants us to never forget that, objectively speaking, regardless of what I think or what I say, Jesus is absolute authority and ownership of everything. John chapter 1, the very first few verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Being God from the beginning, all those great Old Testament statements of the infinite, eternal glory of God, the majesty of who he is, they apply directly to Jesus Christ. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Exodus fifteen eleven. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? A question which God answers in Isaiah 45. I am the Lord, and there is no other. 
Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end and everything in between, and no one tells him what to do. Jesus is sovereign. Concept we have a hard time with here in America. He is sovereign. He rules above all. And in this case, all is literal and figurative. There's nothing he is not above. Verses 32 to 34, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. His words are truth and are coming to faith by his grace and mercy through faith is evidence of that truth. When our eyes are opened and we finally realize who we are before God, when we finally acknowledge our sinful condition for what it is before an absolutely perfect God, do we not acknowledge and affirm the truths that he's told us in Scripture? We are suddenly able to see our sin for what it is, that no one is good, no, not one. We're enabled to understand and confess that our salvation is not by anything that we have done or deserve, but it is from and through Christ alone. We affirm his truth as we declare him to be our Lord and our Savior when we finally agree with what he has told us. And we do this because our eyes have been opened because he has filled us with his Spirit. For he has the Spirit of God without measure. Think about that for a minute. He has the Spirit of God without measure. Not for a time. Not a portion. But the Spirit of God abides with Christ in his fullness. The Spirit remained on Christ at his baptism in his infinite, eternal entirety. Jesus Christ has and gives the Spirit of God. Chapter 1, verse 33. John the Baptist says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. Verse 35 of our passage. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Everything, all things, everything of heaven and of earth are his. Colossians 1, 15 to 19, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, preeminent of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. 
Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. All things. From the tangible to the intangible. The things that can't be touched. Philosophical truth. Ideas, thoughts, authority, power. Things that can be touched, the rain, the ground beneath our feet, our food that we eat. Even ourselves, spirit and body, everything, all things have been given to him. All creation and all salvation. Are his. Verse 36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Salvation belongs to Jesus Christ. Jesus is sovereign. Truth is his because he speaks the words of God. All things in heaven and on earth belong to him, the visible and the invisible, the spiritual and the earthly. He defines the substance and the idea of reality. He is the Lord of all. Now, philosophically, we get this, don't we? Oh, I know that. Come on, you've said all this stuff from the pulpit before. I've heard it, and I've heard it. Okay. But what do we do with this knowledge? What, what do we actually do with this on a practical level in our lives every day? Do we live like we get it? Or are we too busy hiding behind some religion or, or some depth of biblical knowledge? In all reality, keeping our lives for ourselves. We sing, great are you, Lord. Just stay away from my work, because I don't want to talk about you there. And stay away from my vacation, and don't change my church. Just don't do anything, and I love you right where you are. Let's look at John the Baptist. One day when I grow up, I want to be like John the Baptist. Here is a guy who lived for God. 100% of all that he was, he lived all out. He gave the Lord everything that he was. He found his very life's purpose from God's own word. Chapter 1, verse 23, we read when he's asked about, what do you have to say for yourself? In verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. From this call to serve, John had made a ministry. He built a ministry of baptism and repentance. People from all over Israel would come to him to be baptized. 
This was his area of service, his area of ministry. This was his life and his life's work. This was the program that John built. And along comes Jesus. Verses 22 to 24. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was, uh uh-oh, baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salem because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. Now, the disciples of John were fine with Jesus. They were good with him, and all that John had to say about him. Philosophically, they were more than happy to hear what John had to say about Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? In verse 28 of our passage today, John the Baptist says to them, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. They had heard John call Jesus the Son of God, and they knew what, that John had said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And that was all good. They heard it, they understood it, they were ready to receive it. That was all good until, verse 25, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you, they don't even name him, right? That guy. He was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness. Look, he's baptizing, and everybody's going to him. How dare he? Jesus could be whoever he wanted to be. And with John as a rabbi, they would have accepted anything he taught them about the Messiah and about Jesus as truth. They had great respect for John. But who does Jesus think he is? Right? He can be, can't he be all these things that you say somewhere else? It was all good until Jesus stepped on their territory. Until Jesus infringed on their ministry and began to change things up. They they may have nodded their heads when John told them about Jesus. But where were their true loyalties? We like to nod our heads at great truths from Scripture. But where are our true loyalties? Did did these guys apply what they heard John saying? The Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. All these marvelous things John was saying about who Jesus was. Did they apply it? How does John react? He he tells them three things. Everything we are and everything we have comes from God. In other words, it's not mine. I know who I am before him, and I rejoice in that. Thirdly, I will give him my everything and my nothing, if that's what he asks for. Verse 27, John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Everything we have, everything we are, comes from God. 
We so often live like our lives are our own, don't we? I go to my job, and then I go home to my family, and I serve God in my ministry. We live as if God tags along with us. And he really should understand that our will is what's best for him and his kingdom in our lives, right? Because I'm giving him my everything. And we insist on being disappointed when he doesn't answer our prayers the way we think he should. After all, we're giving him everything. I'm living for him, using my gifts for him. And we forget that literally everything, everything we are from our bodies and the soul within us to the gifts that we have, the skills we have, they've all been given to us by the Lord of heaven and earth. Psalm 139, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Even the days we have are gifts of God. Ephesians, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and, and gave gifts to men. And as James says in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Even our, our very salvation is from him. We have received our lives as he knit us together and our eternal lives from his hand. Our job, our school, our house, our car, our mind, our heart, our friends, everything. Our church, our church family, our service, our ministries. Continue down the list. Name everything in your life. Tangible and intangible. It's a gift of God. They aren't ours. They are his. Or do you not know? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. John wasn't hurt or confused or frustrated when Jesus stepped into his territory. Because he knew that it wasn't his territory. It's God's. It was on loan to John so that he could serve God, and he knew who he was before God. Verses 28 and 29. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John understood that his personal glory is not what matters here. 
in Middle Eastern cultures at the time, there was this rule that the best man was prohibited under any circumstances to marry the bride. So if the bridegroom was on his way to the wedding and tripped in his head on a rock and was dead, the, bride, the, the best man could not marry the bride. It was absolutely 100% prohibited. It would have been a great offense to the bridegroom and his family if it was loud, if it happened. The, the friend of the groom knew his place. And it was not the place of greatest honor. It was his job. He was there to facilitate the bringing together of the bridegroom and the bride. John was given the job of the best man. And he knew it. Bringing together Israel and her Messiah, an idea the scripture flushes out and expands to Christ and the church, right? And he took joy. In seeing that happen, he took joy. He rejoiced in just being called to participate and seeing his ministry bear fruit. Being content to relinquish all the glory to Jesus. Even when Jesus began to take away all that John had worked so very hard on for so many years. God's glory and success was more important to John than his own. Knowing who Jesus is, uh, that everything he had from his person to his ministry was from Jesus, knowing who he himself was as he stood before God, John the Baptist was ready to say, I will give him my everything and I will give him my nothing. Verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist here, he says, must. This is what has to happen. This is non-optional for John. Not only did he see it as necessary, but as an integral part of his joy in life. To let Jesus give and to let Jesus take away. To God be the glory. Is the glory of Jesus Christ and his increase in every area of who we are, is that our joy in life? Not just philosophically, but practically. Is living for him at work, at school, at church, everywhere we go, is living for him non-optional for us. His glory to be seen before me everywhere I go, in every aspect of my life, as I go on vacation, as I go to work, as I am at church, Jesus Christ before me. Knowing who he is, are we ready to give him everything that we are and at the same time to relinquish to him our territory? Is he our Lord? Or our puppy in how we treat him, in how we live. Sometimes God steps into our lives. He steps on our territory and lets us know in one way or another that he wants some area of our lives to change, to go in a new direction. Are we ready to allow him to work in any and every area of our lives so that others can see Jesus through us for all that he is? Our Lord, our Sovereign, 
our God, our creator, and our savior. Knowing who he is and what he's done for us at the cross and in his resurrection, are we ready to say, I will run 100% in whatever you give me to do. And if he steps in to make changes in my life, my job, my family, my ministry, my whatever, I will give it to him. As much as I worked at it while, it, while I had it, it was all given to me by him because he is above all. Even the circumstances of my life, I will give it to him and I will point to him in a very practical way, in, way that, in a way that other people can see it and hear it in me. Not guess at it, but actually hear it from me. That Jesus is my Lord everywhere I go in everything I am. In a very practical way, I will respond to his will in every area of my life, letting him increase in authority and glory while I decrease. For the sake of his gospel kingdom. How am I ensuring that Jesus is seen in the circumstances of my life, both the good and the hard. Am I like John's disciples? Do I complain if I need to relinquish something that I have invested myself in? Or am I like John the Baptist, pointing out to those around me just who Jesus is through the changes of my life? seeing his glory in my life as more significant than my own, my own desires, hopes, dreams, preferences, traditions, or territory. Because at the end of my life, and all of our lives will end, you might get 90 years here if you're so blessed. Few here have gotten more than that. Surely Cook's 100, right? Praise God. But at the, at the end of my life, is it more important that I have my name on a plaque, 2.5 kids, a white picket fence, and a dog, or that I've been used by God to bring someone else into the kingdom and to know the same eternal life that I have been given by Christ? Which one will have an eternal impact? My white picket fence? Or the gospel that I've been given? Am I ready to be used by God either by working hard or by letting go? He is God and everything we are is his. Am I ready to prioritize his will over my own? As John said, he must increase and I must decrease let's pray Lord God we hear from your word very difficult very hard truths things that we will tend to leave here nodding our heads and, and quickly forget I pray father by your Holy Spirit that you would enable us all to remember and to hold on to the truths of your word and to walk in them and to, to desire that they be a part of our lives. Father would you fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would be different. That the world would see Jesus in us. That you would increase in, in authority and, and magnificence and, and glory and people would see you and I would decrease. That we would decrease. 
But Lord, in that, that people would come to know you as we proclaim your gospel through who we are and what we say and what we do. Lord, use us as tools in your hands, I pray. Help us to be willing to give you 100% and to relinquish to you 100% for your glory and for your sake and for your kingdom. And we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.